Happy Halloween, everyone. Welcome into another episode of our Creighton Volleyball Wrap-Up Podcast on the White and Blue Review Podcast Network. I'm Matt DeMarinas, joined as always by former Blue Jay All-American Megan Ballinger. Um, tonight we're, I don't know, Megan, I stuck, I stuck a tray of candy out on the front porch and I strategically placed it in a spot where they can't bypass it during the doorbell, so any doorbell... <laughs> Any doorbells, any doorbell rings on my end are just going to be from people who are rude. So, what about you? Yeah, you might hear a few. Jacob is supposed to be handling the trick or treaters, so okay. we'll see if he if he gets to the door fast enough. Gotcha. <laughs> what what's your what's the candy of choice for the trick or treaters in your neighborhood? What you, were you giving them? Well, I got made fun of because I bought like healthier candy. Oh, and Jacob made fun of me to all of his friends. So then we also bought some M and M, like a mixed bag of M and Ms that are unhealthy. So they are mixed okay. in there with okay. some like organic healthy candy. Yeah, but, you do. You actually yeah. do have a food. You have a food account on Instagram, don't you? I think I follow that. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. I think I might have stolen I a recipe or two. Oh, okay. Well, life is busy, so I'm pretty sure I stole <laughs> a recipe for. Uh... Gosh, what was it? I think it was like a buffalo chicken roll type of thing. You know, does that yeah. make sense? We like yeah. buffalo chicken. We make a lot of that. Okay. Yeah, that was pretty decent. Good recipe, Meg. So yeah, <laughs> Meg's a Meg's a part Meg's a part time chef in her other life when it's not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, happy Halloween, everyone. Sorry for getting sidetracked. Then we'll we'll, uh, we'll get into volleyball here in a sec. Uh, yeah. So we're gonna break down Creighton another another weekend for the Jays swept Seton Hall and St. John's on the road out on the East Coast and now they're back home uh, four straight before finishing the game season at the Paul okay, so we'll get all that teed up we'll recap the weekend react to what we saw and look ahead to the stretch run of the regular season because it's basically time to go hang another banner essentially that's, that's all it's left to do you know, that's in front of them. So anyway, looking back, uh, Creighton started on Friday, Friday, Sunday this weekend. Do you, uh, how do you feel about Friday, Sunday, as opposed to back-to-back days? Is that better, worse, no difference? Um, I think it's nice to have a day in between because then you're not so stressed, like traveling. I think, you know, when you finish your first match, then you're not, even though it's pretty close proximity, then you're not super stressed about, you know, driving, getting to the hotel, getting a good night's rest and trying to, you know, play another game the next day. But they also got to charter their flights out there. So I don't think there'd be any complaints, you know, that way it's a pretty easy way to travel. So. Yeah. I, I, I think, uh, I think having a day in between is, I don't know. I'm sure there's negatives to it because you can kind of lose focus on why you're actually on the road, but. I also think just having a day to take your mind off things and then wake up the next day, re-energize and refocus is probably leads to better performances. So I'm sure there's some science behind that. Anyway, the Jays uh, swept Seton Hall on Friday pretty easily. I, that one wasn't a really, gosh, I guess the second set was a little bit up for grabs, maybe midway through, maybe a little bit earlier, but Braden got off to a really good start in all three sets. Uh, just trying to think what the scores were to start. I think uh, first set was what eight to two, maybe no, it was like fourteen to three. Yeah, fourteen yeah, to two. Fair. Let's see. Yeah, fourteen to two. Keely Davis had a big serving run. I'm sorry, every this has been a busy weekend. But <laughs> Keely Davis had a big serving run there at fourteen to two in the first set. I think the second set was nine to two, is what it got to, or eight to two. And then the third was even worse. That was 16 to 2. So yeah, fast starts for the Jays in all three sets. And the only one that got a little dicey after the hot start was set two where Seton Hall got got it tied up um before Creighton kind of pulled away again. So they won 25-16 twice in the first and second game, and then 25-11 in the third. So pretty easy. Easy night on the stat sheet, anyway, and it didn't look like very much stress. The, the, I don't think the Creighton Seton Hall made Creighton sweat all that much on the night. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much been a pretty dominant series, hasn't it, Meg? Like you know, throughout the duration, essentially. I think there was a few. There might have been a year or two in there where Seton Hall was 
you know, a tricky little out. They had some, I think they had an NCAA tournament team mixed in there one year, but I think Creighton's, <laughs> I think Creighton's won 41 straight sets against them going back to your proved freshman, your redshirt freshman year when you weren't playing. So I don't, yeah, it's been, that's a long time of never dropping a set to a team, you know? What's the, what, when you, when, what do you think of the Creighton Seton Hall series and how dominant the Jays have been in that? Is that, it's kind of mind blowing when you look at the numbers and what they've racked up the last few years, isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, when you texted me during the match telling me that, I I guess I I didn't know that, you know, like it's not something I would have thought about, like the, you know, sets that Creighton's won versus them, but that's crazy to not have dropped a single set. Um, I know, yeah, like when I was a freshman, I remember them talking about Seton Hall, like being good and that sort of thing. And of course, like not overlooking an opponent, but I know they talked a lot about, you know, how they had a really solid team previous to when I arrived. But yeah, I mean, I thought, they looked really good in that second set for a while. I I mean, it was a completely different team, I think, than at any other point during the match when they were able to go on that long run. So at that point, I'm kind of like, oh, Seton Hall might be like in this game, you know, if they can continue kind of that momentum. And, but they just, I don't know, they were able to go on a big run against Creighton, which I thought was impressive for them. And I think their coach, their new coach is a first year head coach. So it'll be interesting to kind of see the trajectory and you know, she changes some things. If Seton Hall, you know, continues to improve and kind of break into that top few teams in the Big East. Yeah, I think that was one thing Kirsten talked about after the match was how energized they were, despite it being not terribly competitive in any of the sets, except for like we like we said, really in two when they started to get back into it a little bit. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's there's there's a they're a team that. You know, you certainly think is going to be on an upward trajectory. It, honestly, it's hard. they were they had really bottomed out, you know, prior to this coaching change. So it, there's only there's only so much further to drop when you're at that level, essentially. So, you know, right now their RPI is 136, though. So they have 13 wins. I think that's going to be good to build off of for them. And honestly, the more teams that can kind of you know play in that range, the better the league is going to be for it. You know, when you look at Marquette, Creighton, St. John's, UConn, you know, Xavier's had a couple of good years here. They seem to be sustaining themselves. The Paul's on the rise. Um, we like what they've done the last couple of years. So I think, you know, Seton Hall can climb up into that mix in the one, 150 range or 100 range. Um, there's some sustainability there because I believe that there's, I do believe Kirsten, when she says there's, there's healthy recruiting um, footprints in the big East, in geographical area of the Big East Conference. So it's all about just kind of resources and, and devotion to it if uh, from an athletic department standpoint. But it's enough on Seton Hall. On Creighton's side of things, uh, again, like the Jays just are just really good in transition right now. And it just continues to blow my mind how efficient they are. And I, I think it's uh, – I, I certainly think it's going to bode well long-term – but I just don't think it's something we talk about enough. And I just I think it's because there's a lot of volatility in in transition because there's so many different variables that go into it. It's hardly ever uh going by design. You know, there's a lot of randomness with you know, players flying around and what kind of block touches are you getting and how's your court coverage and are you in system a uh, consistent amount of time? But you know, Creighton hit three eighty in transition against on Friday. And, uh, you know, I have to imagine that means they were in system quite a bit. So, you know, they had 33, 33 of their 47 kills came in transition. That's, that's, that blows my mind how much of their offense was, was not on first ball kills. Yeah, that's, that's crazy to me. And, you know, I don't know, you know, from a coaching standpoint, like, what they want you know their first ball kill ratio to look like obviously like every single ball you'd want to get a kill on it but it's not realistic you know to talk about doing that um but yeah it'll be interesting to see kind of if those numbers creep up on first ball kills and maybe it evens out kind of like um, we were talking about but crazy impressive to be that good in transition and I mean that's when you have to scramble and things a lot of times are out of whack and you're out of system um sometimes you're having to throw balls just out to people hoping they can get a good swing on it so from that standpoint I think that's really impressive and they have a ton of options and I think you know that's part of it they they trust people and I think they're at a point where 
they're comfortable running middles. They're comfortable, you know, running the outside, running a slide with their middles. They have a back row option. You know, they have a lot of options. They have Kendra's her own options. So I think, you know, that probably bodes well for them too, because blockers, um, you know, when Creighton's kind of in a disarray, the blockers are trying to figure out, you know, what they're going to do, um, but they just have great options and people that can put the ball away. Yeah, 100%. I mean, even if you look at what they've done so far through 23 matches, not just league play, but, you know, they have four players right now averaging more than two kills per set. Four of their regulars, you know, when you go Ava, Kiana, Keely, Nora, and then Kiara Reinhardt's at 1.5, and Kendra's over one kill per set as a setter. And then you have Jazz Schmidt coming off the bench just a shade under two kills per set. So, really, you have uh, seven hitters that are all over a kill per set, and 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 six of them are pretty close to two kills per set or more. So, gosh, man, that's got to be a real luxury for the coaching staff because, you know, you can just plug and play. And, and at this point, when you're 23 matches into a season, I imagine you have a pretty – pretty high confidence level in all those players at this point, knowing that they performed when you called their number, right? Because, I mean, Kendra's hitting 367. Jazz Schmidt, who usually will come off the bench if when her number's called, she's hitting 315 as, you know, normally a right side, yeah. And wow. Kiara's at 327. Kiana's at 312. Keeley's at 259. Ava's at 259. Nora's at 222. You're terminating a high rate. Even your high-volume players are terminating at a pretty good clip. That's a pretty scary offense. There's a lot of options there. Yeah, and I think, you know, I thought they had decent parity to start the season, and um, that's something we talked about. You know, I think they need to have more people that they trust in those, like, big moments, and I think they're finally, you know, getting to that level where you maybe don't know who that ball's going to go to at certain times. You know, based on the past, like, maybe they go to somebody else. Um, when it used to maybe be like, oh, Nora's getting this ball if she's there, right? Like, I think now you have some great options in the middle, and I think that connection continues to get better. So there's a lot more trust that continues just to grow between Kendra and all of her hitters. 100%. I think – I don't know. It seems like this team is a more balanced offensive team than last year's was. And I think some of the defensive stuff has kind of uh, caught up behind it, where last year's team I thought was better defensively than they were offensively, and it was mainly just – I, I, you know, we didn't think the connection with the middles and Kendra was great last year, right? And so it was mainly just Jayla and Nora. If they could have really good nights, then Creighton was going to have a chance um, to be successful against the the top notch teams that they played. But their hat was hung defensively. I mean, they were one of the best defensive teams in the country statistically. So this year, it looks like their offense is definitely taking a step up from last year, even without Jayla. That's the crazy part. Is no, last year with Jayla and Nora, you had two players that you had two pins at over three kills per set. So that's a pretty, you know, you you have an option on the left side and you have an option in the back row, regardless of what you're doing, because they're both six rotation hitters. Um, but this year, I don't know, it's just a little bit more balanced, a little bit more efficient, and like we just highlighted in transition, they're deadly. Which is, I think, if I were just to think about it, I would think that if a good passing team like Creighton has historically been, right, that you're that their their uh, termination rate would be higher on first ball kills than it would be in transition, but that doesn't seem to be the case, especially this weekend. Yeah, I think that's the part for me that's very interesting. The first ball kill, um, just because they are a good passing team statistically, you know, I don't see their passing breakdown that much typically in matches, or if it does, I feel like they kind of regain that confidence and get it back. So. Yeah, I don't I don't know what the explanation is there. Um, maybe that's something you kind of need to tune in more, you know, when I'm just watching and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I think just their ability in transition to score points is really impressive. And um, obviously that bodes well for them. And, you know, I think they're really good on both sides of the ball. Like you said, offense and defense. I think it's it's the level has been raised, I think, this year, you know, in both of those um, areas. So I think only good things can happen when you play great defense and um, blocking was something we talked about. And I think that continues to get better. Um, so yeah, digging and blocking, I think um, has just continued to get better and better. And that allows them to run, you know, really good options in transition, um, not just kind of throwing a ball out there and getting like maybe a typical swing. I think if they get able to get that dig up on the net, I mean, you just have so many options. You have Kendra, you have your middles, you have right sides, outsides, back row. You just have people all over the floor. Yeah, we talked about – we did talk about the blocking and and defense uh, 
you know, early on in conference play, I don't know if it was four or six matches in, but it was at, you know, one point where we highlighted where Creighton ranked in the Big East, and I think it was around eighth. No, not I think they were second to last when we talked about it. Yeah. Yeah. So right now, after what they are, they have six matches left, so they're 12 matches into Big East play. Uh, They're up to third in blocks per set, so 2.26. That's improved a lot. Uh, Diggs, their third at 16.19 behind Xavier and Butler. Um, Their opponent hitting percentage is 118. That's first in the Big East. It's uh, about 40 points higher than Marquette, who's in second place. And then you pair that with what they're hitting 312 as a team in Big East play, which is leading the conference over Marquette. Um, and then uh, and then you have the serving part of it where they're averaging 1.8 uh, aces per set. That's that's tops in the Big East as well. So, I mean, when you look at the whole picture, you know, this 12-0 and 0 isn't really isn't really fluky. Like, they're kind of rolling through it again, and, and, you know, they have the makings of a team that could run the table in Big East play because, you know, you just look at the, the body of work. Statistically, they're – they're tops in every single category you you could possibly uh even if they're not first, they're second or third, you know what I mean? So they're they're ripping through this thing. And um with four of their last six at home, and then the Marquette one on the road, which will bet which will you know, if, if if both of those teams take care of business like we expect them to, that's going to be, you know, there's gonna be a trophy in that in Al McGuire Center waiting for someone to hoist it. So um but yeah, when you look at Craig's body of work right now, they're ripping through this thing right now again, again. But you know, we do take it for granted sometimes. But they're performing at a really high level right now. Yeah, I think it's impressive, and you know the stats that you just highlighted. I think you know Crane can win games in different ways. You know, whether that be really strong behind the service line, you know, playing extremely strong defense, um, or just you know playing lights out offense and having a ton of options. Um, I think they're a team that's fluid enough to be, you know, to adapt. And if something's maybe not working, maybe your offense isn't having a great night, you can still play really great defense. And those are what make, you know, good teams really great is when they can adapt and, you know, something's maybe not going your way and it probably won't every single night. You know, you probably won't be clicking on all cylinders um, at every time during a game. So, yeah, I think they're a team that's poised to, you know, hopefully win that Big East um, championship and then go into the conference tournament and hopefully win that as well. It probably helps with their with some of the matches that haven't gone well, right? When you think about the five setters, uh, where they were down two one to they were down two zero to UConn and Marquette. They were down two one to DePaul and came back and won those. You know what you're talking about here is like they don't hang their hat on any one thing in particular, right? There's a lot of areas where they can, you know, get some mojo going in match and change the the trajectory of of what's going on that night. And it's probably how they've been able to win some matches when they haven't been at their best in certain areas. Don't you think? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, yeah, this team's just very well-rounded. I, you know, I don't know if I can think to a team, you know, that I played on that maybe was as well-rounded, you know, like offense, defense. I just think they play great defense. It's really fun to watch them play defense. And um, yeah, that just leads to really good offense and just find the service line too. I think that's another area that this year, especially, like I've noticed, you know, just the error to ace ratio and getting teams out of system. I think they do that really well. Um, and just a lot of their servers put really great pressure on other teams. Sure. Uh, let's, uh, you know, switch over to the second match of the weekend in Queens. Um, I don't know. What, what, what's, what's, what do you think uh, you know, the mindset of a Creighton player going into this match? Cause this is Kirsten mentioned, mentioned something interesting in the, uh, in her, you know, weekly availability that, St. John's had a, you know, a pre-match hype video, and I don't think I ever really considered this, but, you know, Creighton's pre-match hype video is kind of just about what they've done lately. It's not, there's not any one team in particular that kind of gets isolated in terms of their dominance over them. I think it's because they've dominated a lot of teams, but, you know, it's more about the legacy that they've left, like the seven you know the biggest champ. How many ever been biggest championships in a row and so tournament um, appearances in a row? And it seems like St. John's had more of a Creighton centric hype video, where they uh, showed you know some clips of them kind of getting off against Creighton and celebrating win a win over Creighton, obviously in that 2019 Big East tournament match, uh, that semifinal match. But I don't know. It seemed like based on Kirsten's recollection of of that moment, it seemed to light a fuse um, in Creighton's players. So maybe an indirect 
uh, indirect motivational, what do they call it, bulletin board material that St. John's provided just before first serve. I don't know. Do you ever have? Do you have a memory of of getting um, fired up by something that you weren't expecting to happen in terms of I don't know trash talk or anything like that that lit a fuse that you didn't think was going to be necessary that day, but it did. Oh, oh my gosh, yeah, for sure. I feel like I mean it can be a lot of things like that. That would make me you know pissed off and probably would it make you it. yeah would it would it get oh, you going yeah. if you saw that yeah like, okay. for sure yeah for sure um yeah i just think gosh i mean i think you take what you can get and if that's the motivation that you need in that moment to maybe elevate your play a little bit you're gonna ride that wave and go for it um but yeah like yeah remembering losing to them in 2019 yeah that makes just having been there and remembering that i would have been annoyed right and like been motivated but yes then seeing it like live and replaying it again i would have been like okay it's time to go like this this is enough um but yeah, gosh, St. John's. It's funny because volleyball players have such a like a you know cheerful, enthusiastic kind of vibe to them, and you feel like there's a lot of camaraderie from back and forth. Like there's a lot of mutual respect there. But I guess when you see yourself, uh, you know, when you see a highlight reel that you're kind of the butt of the joke of, maybe it just doesn't it doesn't land the same way. And you're like, all right, you, you guys like to celebrate playing us huh we'll see you know i think that's kind of funny but i do like that creighton still finds a way to get uh trying to think how i just i feel like there's a there's a lot of opportunities for them to run through these couple months and lose their edge and because because the big east in large part you know obviously marquette's different and and uconn's played at a high level and and we've talked about the teams that are kind of in that upper tier. Um, but for the most part, Creighton, and you when you look at their history in the Big East, they haven't been there hasn't been a peer for them. Like Marquette's the first one that jumps out at you, but then you look at the series history and it's really just, you know, clearly an A and clearly a B there, right? Um, so I think it's fun, funny to see that Creighton still is able to find an edge through all the years, like whether it was you, Jay Lee. Um, Kelly Browning before, and now this group of players, you know, from Jayla on down and Nora and things like that, where they're still able to, 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 to flip that switch and like, oh, okay, you think, you know, you think that's cool to do that? Like, we're gonna show you, you know. But I just think, I just think you would go, you would go through the motions more as Creighton, and because the target's always on your back and the pressure's always on you to perform, and everyone else kind of has nothing to lose, you know. So I just don't know. I, I think that mindset's kind of cool that Creighton is able to to find that motivation a little bit and, you know, use it to effectiveness. Yeah. I think, I mean, the one thing I know, like I remember for sure, like losing to St. John's in 2019 and then you lose and you're like, like that was the highlight of their career. You know what I mean? Like that. For their them, coaches like, were dancing they, and stuff that like the that. Best thing that they ever, you know, did like in their career, like not, you know, not to be like rude about it, but I think. Facts are facts. Yeah, so I think those things, and you watch that, and, like, they're just, like, elated, you know, like, they, like, won a national championship or something, like, just going insane, you know? Um, those are the things that piss you off because you know you're supposed to win. So I think, like, little reminders like that, you're like, all right, like, we were supposed to win that, you know? We were supposed to be the ones doing that. And as great as it is for them, um, you know, you don't want to give, like, that to somebody else, you know? When you're competitive, you just, you don't want to lose, and... I think that's what it comes down to. Yeah, that's the that's the that's the funny part about it is that Creighton's kind of selfish. Yeah, like they've won, oh, they've yeah. won all these Big East titles, and yeah, it would be cool to uh, to kind of elevate the league and and you know have some have some variables in there where it's a little bit unpredictable and you know Creighton doesn't have to go into the, every single season as the prohibitive favorite and deal with all the pressure of having to you know potentially go 18 and 0, 20 and 0 and and try to be perfect, you know, where it's just where there's some volatility there. But then there's the other part of it where it's like, well, we hate losing and we are better than all these teams, so we should be able to prove it and then you see a video like that and it kind of just sparks you and you're like, okay. Cuz there are a member there are members of that 2019 team that can remember that, right? Like Jayla Keeley. I yeah. bet like oh, I bet God. they're sitting there going, "Oh, yeah, I remember those. I remember that moment. I remember all those dance moves that the coaching staff was doing for St. John's. Like, cool. We'll see if you're dancing today kind of thing. And that's kind of how they played. Yeah. 
those are the things that just get under your skin a little bit and yeah. a little extra motivation. <laughs> yeah, but you know the way the first two games played out, you you look at like, you know what? I said this to uh, I was texting uh, Lance Robbie, the PA guy, uh, for the Jays, and it was. I think he, he he said, you know, we were talking about uh, the match in the first two games because it was kind of a toss-up, right? Like Creighton had – I think Creighton had set point with five, you know, five points to go and, and one. Or they had a five-point lead when they got to set point, and they ended up getting down one and having to fight back. And, again, Kiana Schmidt made great plays. We talked about her, you know, her moments coming at big times. I think we've talked about that the last couple of weeks that she's not just racking up stats and like these blowout sets like she's starting he's been putting down balls and getting key blocks at moments where Creighton needs something to spark them and that was evident in, in set one and helping Creighton get get that thing back to uh back into control and win it and that was evident in set two when she helped them win it as well but uh I don't know man I don't want to be like unfair to St. John's and everything like that but I just feel like they're like they're kind of fake tough they do play Creighton tough. Like they do get up for that match. And the same thing with Marquette. Like they push they've pushed Marquette over the years too. And I just think they're I just think they're fake tough because I think they were ready to come out and give Creighton a fight and try to knock them off and try to take what they have and that kind of thing. But I said I was like they're gonna they're they're gonna play these first two games really tough. And they're gonna hang in there and they're gonna try to get them and they're gonna try to get themselves into the match. But I, but if 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 Creighton takes both those sets, I bet you they fold in three. That's what fake tough teams do. Once they realize that it can't be won, they won't try to win it anymore. And I think that's what happened. Like I think I think St. John's fought Creighton to the finish line. Like both both first second games went into extra points, you know. So that was there to be won by either team. But when Creighton Creighton pulled it out, set three was not not the same as sets one and two. And I think that's because just St. John's came out and was like, well. We're down 0-2. We're not winning today. You know, we're not we're not beating Creighton. We've we blew our chance essentially. And they and I think set three went along um with that. Uh, I'm too tired to think of words right now. They just folded. And I, I I figured they would. I figured if they didn't get either of the first two games, I didn't think they would fight their way back into it down 0-2. And they didn't. Yeah, I yeah I agree. I think yeah, watching it, obviously, yeah, those first two sets couldn't be any closer. Um, and then yeah, that third one. I mean, I just yeah, I don't see St. John's as a team that is capable of like doing a reverse sweep. You know what I mean? Like for whatever reason, just having played them and watched them, I just I don't know something about it. I feel like sometimes they can become very disconnected, like with among each other. I think if things kind of go haywire. Um, and I think, you know, that's something Creighton does like oppositely really well. I think they'll stay together, kind of stay steady throughout whatever happens. And that's why they've been able to do, you know, a reverse sweep this season, a couple. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think, you know, things just kind of fell apart from there, but they were, they came out guns blazing, ready to go. And, um, yeah, they wanted it bad in the first two games. No, I totally agree. They wanted it bad in the first two games. And they, I think that was. That was I don't know if that was their game plan or what happened, but you know, they were they were they were playing really well. I thought both teams had, you know, opportunities to put that thing away each each game. But I just didn't Yeah, it's like you said, you don't have first of all, you don't think Creighton's going to get reverse swept. That's the other part of it too. It's like you're up two oh yeah. and you gotta fin you have three opportunity you have three games left to finish it essentially to take one of them. Like you, you feel like Creighton's got the like uh, the odds in their favor to a dramatic degree at that point, and I think that's when that's when pressure gets reversed a little bit, right? Because going into every match, Creighton's under pressure, right? The, tar- the target's on their back. But what they do really well is when they get off to good starts, then you put the pressure on the then you take the pressure off yourself because you're kind of in control now. And I think the the one thing that bites this team, um on a semi-frequent basis and almost did on this day was they do get a little comfortable with the lead. Right. So that's probably something that if you're looking for these last three weekends in the Big East tournament, what Creighton needs to be better at is just like the kill shot. 
essentially mm-hmm. and not giving because you know you go back to the weekend the, the, the paul marquette weekend at home they were up what were they up they were 24 20 in second set and lost that one at home right so there this has been a, a thing where they've kind of had you know sets one and and either given up a run where it's been closer than it needs to be or they've lost them so that I think set one for against St. John's is something that will have to be cleaned up, you know, as they finish the regular season out. If, uh, you know, if they want to make a deep run in the NCAA tournament, they're going to have to be able to put teams away because if you start giving, if you start, if you're backing off to the degree that it lets teams come back in it, you know, you're going to pay for it. Right. Yeah. And I think, yeah, that was something I noticed for sure. I think it's been a theme, like you said, just closing matches. Like at times I just, they'll let points go by and points go by and points go by and the team, you know, will kind of climb up there. And then it's like, Oh, finally we won, you know, and you'd like to see that be one point. You take care of it at max, maybe two, right? Like you don't let a team in it, just finish. And that is something they'll have to get better at. And as you get into those NCAA tournament games, teams are better and better and they're not gonna, you know, you can't mess around at all. You can't give away any points, you know, if you can help it. So that's something that'll be interesting to see, you know, these next few matches too. And now that they're back at home, I don't know how much of that is like a momentum thing or if it's, you know, a lot of that is mental. I think Um, just having played, you know, a lot of that is just like your mindset. Okay. Like we're good. You know, that sort of thing. Instead it needs to be like, get this done with like, I'm getting a kill right now. You know, those urgent moments where you're down points like that needs to be what your mindset's like. Yeah. Cause that's what I was going to ask you. It's probably, 95 percent focus isn't it at that moment right there because at that point you've played enough good volleyball to put yourself in the position to win it so you're up 24 19 and you know say st john's gets a first ball kill and then you know i don't know an ace right after that like you have to be able to huddle up right there and and kind of flip the switch back to be like all right we're siding out right here that we're not letting them go on this scoring run we're not go we're not let we're not making kirsten call a timeout to get us back in in line like we're going to finish this right now don't you think that's more just like focus right yeah 100 percent. i think it's just yeah that need to kind of have that desperation to like score points i think sometimes you lose that when you're up a few because you're like oh you know we're fine like we just need one like it's okay next ball but like it needs to be like if we don't win this point like we could lose this game like that needs to be your mindset you know it's like if you were in a tight match and it's like 12 13 in a fifth set like you need to be like okay, we need this point. Like we cannot mess around at all. So those are the things that I, you know, hopefully will continue to get better, but it is definitely a, you know, a theme that we've seen in several matches in several it sets. The, yeah. It is the one thing that's unique about volleyball as a sport, because it's, it's one of those things where you have to be able to flip momentum quickly. It's not like, you know, in basketball, you can give up runs and, and there's enough time to, you know, because you're scoring two or three points at a pop, you can get, you can recover from that quickly, right? It's, you know, 90 seconds is all it takes to go on a 10 0 run, essentially. For volleyball, if you give up a 3 0 run, you could easily lose your grip, like all the momentum, and it's hard to get that back once, especially when you start to tighten up a little bit. Like you're up 24 19, and if you start thinking about, oh, we just need one. And then, like, and then the other team on the other side of the net is just thinking every point is just, we have to win every single point. You know what I mean? Like there's just a let up there because you're thinking one of these next few, one of these next six rallies, we have to find the floor. Like odds are in our favor. That's going to happen by accident. Right. Versus the other team's mindset is we can't let anything touch the floor over here. We're, we have to be completely desperate. We have to be perfect, error free. Um, so when you, when the other team gets on a run, like you lose your grip on things pretty quickly. Right. And then all of a sudden you start to tighten up and, and then executing becomes a high pressure situation where, you know, two rallies ago, you were feeling all good about what you had just done for, for 40 something rallies. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing worse than like having set point and then letting a team score multiple points on you, your coach calling a timeout to talk it over and then going back out there and then trying to score again. Like, it's just so you're like, okay, this could have been done, you know, like five points ago, we could have been on the other side, whatever we could have won the game, you know, like it's, I don't know. So that that part of it is very frustrating. And I think sometimes when you, you know, you expect to score and sometimes you expect it to be easier, especially, you know, maybe you are up pretty big on a team and you're like, eh, you know, this has been a pretty easy like set. 
sometimes you can get into that mindset of like, oh, you know, like, ah, uh, she'll miss her serve or like, you know, something like that. And you just, you don't want to think that way. You want to be the one in control and just score the point, you know, put it down with authority, get a kill. You're good. You know, you scored, you earned it. Um, you know, you don't want to rely on people making errors. And I think sometimes you can kind of get into that, like, oh, you know, like there's no way they go for eight points or whatever, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, they're closing in on going on a five zero run. So those are the things that um, I think a lot of it is mindset, like we talked about. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it does. It, it, it would be easy to think they'll make a mistake. We don't have to. We don't have to really earn this the rest of the way. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, it's like, it's like, it's kind of like getting caught in quicksand, honestly, because you start to think that way. And then all of a sudden, if you can't snap out of it, it's kind of too late. Another good game in transition for Creighton. They, uh, we talked about them hitting 380 against, uh, Seton Hall. They hit 478 in transition against St. John's. And man, I hope these stats are accurate because they're wild. Like 24, they had 24 kills on 46 transition swings. That's just absurd. And I think it's funny because that's, I think in transition, you're more likely to be out of system. But I, I have to imagine, like, what we talked about, it's just about options. Like, Creighton has, you know, so many options, including Kendra, where you can make something out of nothing and make the low percentage look high percentage because of all the offensive skill you have on the floor at one given time. If it's Keeley, Nora, Ava, you know, you have, and then Kiara or Kiana, you have four options that you can just find at any given time. And, you know, I'm curious because we've, you've talked a lot about certain players being shoddy, right? Having multiple, you know, tempo swings, like where they can put the ball, you know, the angles they can hit at, uh, the velocities they can hit at. I kind of have to imagine that transition, that being so good in transition as part is in, is in kind of, it has a good relationship with the ability to mix up shots, right? Because, you know, if you're, if you're trying to set up block on out of system balls and like Keely goes for tips or roll shots or, you know, Jazz Schmidt goes cross court or four to four or Nora comes out of the back row, like, or if Kendra just sets the one or if she just dumps back row herself or if she just hits Keon on a slide real quick, like there's just so many variables going in your mind as a defender. Right. But I, I have to wonder if Creighton's effectiveness in transition is due to, you know, their, their diversity from a, from a, uh, you know, shot standpoint, right? How many different shots they can hit? Yeah, I think that's definitely part of it. Um, you know, and I think on those, like, first ball um, kill attempts, a lot of times Creighton will get good swings off, and, you know, the team will maybe be scrambling on the other side of the net a little bit and kind of throw in maybe not a great swing or something, you know? So I think that maybe could be part of it too. Um, you know, kind of putting that team a little bit out of whack on that first attempt, and then they get that ball back, and then they're able to – find holes in the block, um, you know, or drop a, a tip in or something if their defense is kind of like back on their heels ready for a hard driven ball. So I definitely think it's a combination of things, but, um, you know, you'll never complain about having too many options. And I think for, you know, Creighton and for Kendra, I think she's in the best position to be like, oh, who do I want to set, you know, and she has that luxury of having really great hitters everywhere. And so I'm sure it's really fun to be her and, you know, call your own number, um, go to the back row, go to the middle, you know, go outside, all those sorts of things. So I think, um, you know, you'll, you'll always have good things and you have a lot of options. Yeah. What, what was your opinion of Kendra's or your assessment of Kendra's performance too? Because it sounded like the game plan against St. John's was for Kendra to be really aggressive because of the, the style of defense that St. John's plays, I guess. And I'm not nearly qualified enough to, to, assess what this means but it sounds like their defense is kind of unique in terms of its style uh, i think kirsten said it's the only the only type of defense that gets played that way in the country so um it sounds like the one of the game plans was for kendra to be you know really aggressive especially with dumping to the back row uh just because of where they're positioned in terms of their schemes and things like that and i mean nine kills on 12 so she had the second most attacks on the team behind kendra for your or behind nora excuse me so from your setter, that's pretty that seems intentional, right? If your setter has that many that many attempts and is that effective at putting the ball down, hitting six you know, six sixty seven. Um, you know, she was really efficient, she was really effective, and she was really aggressive. And it sounds like it was by design going in because of the defense that St. John's plays. Yeah, I mean, I thought she did a good job, and I think the numbers reflect that. I think to, you know, get nine of the twelve attempts, I think that's really good. Only with one error. Um 
so yeah I think there was a lot of space in the middle of the court so she you know could take kind of take that power shot and most of them were kind of power to the middle um donut area um but yeah it was open so I think it's good and it opened up you know their offense I mean that then you know their blockers St. John's blockers you know were worried about her a lot because she was throwing a lot of balls over so it opened things up for the middle and created gaps in blocks so I think if you can get a setter active, especially at the beginning of the game, and I thought she got involved you know, pretty early, I just think, you know, it opens things up, and then St. John's blockers kind of have to guess and um, try to close, and then there's just holes, and it's a lot easier for hitters. It just, just it, se- it seems on paper and it seems watching that St. John's was really keyed in on, on you know, making sure there's a lot of, a lot of traffic in front of the pins. Because you look at, you know, Nora, Keeley, and Ava – had 13 of Creighton's 16 errors, you know, and when you look at St. John's with nine ace blocks, I have to imagine most of them was on those. And then you look at, on the flip side, you look at Kendra, Kiara, and Kiana had two errors between all of them on 31 swings. So maybe just like gamble on St. John's part a little bit to try to, you know, take out the key cogs and then live with whatever... Uh, you know, Kiara, Kiana, and Kendra can put down if they, you know, just kind of live with a little bit of a gamble in a sense that say, hey, you know, if you see these openings and you think you can put them down, go for it. But we're gonna we're gonna take a risk and and try to stop your try to stop your heavy hitters and and we'll live with the results kind of thing. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, I don't think that's that bad of a plan. You know, like as an opposing defense, like I'm if I was setting it up as an opposing coach, I would definitely be like, all right, these are the primaries. Like we're going to, you know, if we have to live or die on picking somebody, we're going to pick the outsides. We're going to pick the pins. So yeah, I don't think I'd plan, but I think the thing for, you know, maybe St. John's now it's like Creighton's middles, I think are connecting better. So I think it's more of a threat, like a hard driven threat where, whereas, you know, a lot of times it maybe be a little bit of a mishit or, you know, maybe a tip, something that maybe wasn't super hard driven that you could probably get a body or a hand on. Um, but yeah, I think just the parity and, you know, the people's ability to put it down with authority across the net, I think has gone up as the season has progressed. Yeah. So Creighton, I mean, that's when we talked about Creighton's offensive balance, this was probably a good match to highlight in terms of where it stood out because, you know, when you look at, uh, shoot, you know, 16 errors and 24 kills between, you know, Nora Keeley and Ava, that's not very efficient, right? Between three, between three heavy hitters, that's not very efficient, but, you know, Kiara, Kiana, and Kendra put the ball down at a really, really high rate, an absurdly high rate. Um, So it, that, that does, it kind of highlights Creighton's offensive balance because uh, St. John's essentially neutralized, uh, you know, a big portion of where Creighton gets their production from and still got swept. Yeah, that is true. I think, I mean, Creighton too, I think served really well in this game. Um, I'm just looking at stats. looks like they had the same amount of digs, the difference of four kills between these two teams. So um, Creighton definitely established their block. And then I thought played really good defense around it. Um, and then, you know, in that transition game, I, that's something that those numbers are crazy. And um, insane. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy to think about. Well, I, I I wrote this down this weekend to ask you about because it just it stuck in my head a little bit. I think it was because something you talked about, shoot, I don't know, probably five weeks ago now. Because we were we were critical of the blocking, right? And I think one of the things you mentioned is a possible as a possible issue is that if Creighton's serving so well that they're getting teams out of system and the opponent doesn't have a physical pin hitter that can, you know, you know, hit the ball back hard at them out of system, essentially, where they're just sending free balls over basically. And um, that it's hard to block those, you know, because if, if the hitter's off the net, and it's not coming at you hard. It's kind of, it, it's funky with your timing, you know, as a blocker, essentially was the, was the, I think that's the gist of what you were getting across there. Um but it just it, it seems like Creighton has blocked better against more physical teams. Yeah. I have to I have to wonder if that's the reason. If it's just harder to block teams that don't have as much physicality, especially when they're out of system, the balls aren't really coming at the same rate that you train to block. 
Yeah, I think that's a valid point. I mean, sometimes it can be better, like, not to jump and block if a team's just throwing over a ball that's kind of wacky because a lot of times they'll just get tooled or, you know, your defense is set up behind and then all of a sudden the ball's off to the side and no one's there to dig it. Um, So that could definitely be part of it. I think also it's a mindset thing. Like, if you know somebody's going up and just swinging hard, like, you know, you if you put up a nice block, like, you could get a huge, like, stuff block, right? Like, that ball's going to go straight down because that person is just hammering it into the block. So I think a lot of times you go up maybe a little bit stronger, like, your hands are just positioned a little bit stronger because you know you have that split second to, you know, hopefully contact that ball and it'll go straight down. So Sometimes if a hitter goes up kind of like soft or their approach isn't very good and you think you're going to roll shot it, you go up a little bit softer hands and then that ball, you know, maybe tools off of you and it goes somebody that your defense is not. So I, a lot of that, again, I think is mindset. And unfortunately, you know, a lot of these things, it's like, hopefully you're going up really strong with it. You want to get an ace block every single time, but it's hard, um, you know, to be super like locked in with your hand positioning when a team is maybe just roll shotting a ball over at you. Yeah, because I mean, and then you look at the more physical teams that Creighton has played, especially lately. They were more than they were. They were above two blocks per set against Butler, above two blocks per set against UConn, above two blocks per set against uh, Marquette. Um, they were damn near. They were damn near at five blocks per set against DePaul. Um, and then again, and then ten, and then they were over two blocks per set, over three blocks per set against uh, St. John's. You know, this weekend. So, I don't know. I I thought it was an interesting point you were making at the time you were making it because it, it, it I hadn't necessarily thought of it pr- before that in terms of the type of the type of attacks you have to set up to block you know but it does seem like when you stack up what Creighton has done against the more physical teams they've played that their blocking is more effective than maybe we gave it credit for at the point when we were just analyzing raw numbers and things like that you know. So I think you were onto something there. It has translated. Yeah, hopefully. I guess maybe I knew what I was talking about, but I don't maybe, know. <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? Um, yeah, so that's that's encouraging then, at least to see, because it does round out what we we what we thought was basically the only weakness, the only glaring weakness for this team on paper was we thought they were pretty good at floor co- court coverage, and you know we we think they're a really good passing team. We know we think they're a really good serving team, and obviously we know they have a lot of offensive parity. and And Kendra has gotten a lot better as as a as a setter, an offensive setter, not just defensively. Defensively, she's been a stud the whole time. But um, so yeah, for the blocking thing to kind of get elevated a little bit and to come start to to start to come up and and reflect itself on the stat sheet, I think is an encouraging thing because it kind of rounds out this team. And, you know, like we said, the only things maybe they have to clean up a little bit are just, you know, some some match in match type of things where where, you know, if you're up and you've got a three oh run going, like make it five or six, um, you know, put teams on tilt when you've got them down, when you've got set point, finish that thing. Don't let them get back into it. Don't lose your edge, you know. And I think those are some things that they certainly can sharpen up over these last six matches because. And this is the other thing I wanted to talk about tonight was, you know, what November means for a volleyball player, especially one that, you know, has ambitions of winning conference titles, winning conference tournament titles, making deep runs in the NCAA tournament in December. Like when when the calendar flips from October to November, so tomorrow's November 1st, right? So it's going to be, it's championship volleyball at that point, right? Does your mindset change at all in terms of, I don't know what you're thinking about when you're watching film in practice or in, in film sessions or, you know, how, how focused you are in practice and in training in terms of trying to shore up some deficiencies and get better at things and make sure, you know, you continue to find, you continue to take those steps to peaking at the right time, I guess. Is it, does it feel like when the calendar flips in November, all that stuff starts to come into focus a little bit? Yeah, I think so. I know, like, I remember when I was at Creighton, we talked about October being kind of just a a difficult month, like mentally. I mean, a lot of times you're on the road, right? It's just kind of long. You're in the middle of conference season. Um, And then November, I feel like you kind of like see the light at the end of the tunnel. Like you have that big East Pearson just said that today. She just said light at the end of the tunnel today. Like you are. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So so on message. Yeah. I I was there long enough to pick up some of the stuff, I guess. So she was thinking, but, uh, 
Yeah, I think, yeah, to have that weekend kind of cap your November, I think, I mean, that's the big weekend that's super exciting. And obviously to have it at home, I think is really going to be fun for them. Um, and hopefully win it at home. And then that same weekend, typically it's NCAA selection show. So it really is like the capping of your season. And then you kind of get that next um, direction of, you know, where you're going to go, if you're going to host, if you're going to have to travel, that sort of thing. And I mean, that's the time that you play for is, you know, that last tournament. And I think it's a really good thing to have a conference tournament because I think it gears you up and it's, you know, it's a winner, you know, go home type of situation. So I think for that, it, it really prepares yeah. you for the NCAA. Yeah, I, I don't think I've asked your opinion on conference tournaments before. Maybe I have. I think they're nonsense. Do you like them? Um, Because of what you just said, it kind of just simulates an, it simulates a, a single elimination tournament, which is what you're eventually going to deal with the following weekend. Yeah, I think I think for being – I think in the Big East, it's good. I think I could see it not being super beneficial in other conferences, if that makes sense. Okay. Why? You know what I mean? Like, Not really. because I feel like, I mean, a, a lot of the teams maybe aren't as competitive, but let's say you're in the Big Ten, every single game, super competitive. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So I feel like, I mean, they luckily do play Marquette at the end of the season, but let's say like they didn't play Marquette for, you know, several weeks before they finished conference play. I don't think the level of opponent is quite as high oh, as what okay. it would maybe be in the NCAA tournament. So I think I from see. that standpoint, like I enjoy – that competitiveness and, you know, hopefully playing the best teams in the conference and then having to win, you know, a single game or, yeah, you go home. That basically allows you to elevate to the level of an NCAA tournament where you're – you can play in the level of team you're going to be facing in a week after that, essentially what you're saying, right? Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. how I view that. And I think this year's schedule, like, stacks up well for them because they yeah. do play Marquette as their last regular season. But, like, if they hadn't played them for several weeks and then you're playing, like, some of the other teams maybe that are at the bottom of the conference. I don't know mm -hmm. if your level mm -hmm. plays maybe quite as high as it needs to be. And I think Creighton yeah. can flip a switch if they needed to and like raise their level, you know, but I think sometimes it's hard and you want to play really good competition and like get yourself prepared and, you know, be in those really competitive moments, I think, mm -hmm. right before you mm -hmm. kind of go to the instantly tournament. That does – yeah, I'm with, I kind of get what you're saying there because if you look at the way the schedule shakes out, especially as you mentioned, like, you know, the last – five matches of the year are UConn, St. John's, then at DePaul and at Marquette. So with UConn, you had an NIVC semifinalist last year. And that's, for people that don't know what the NIVC is, I'm sure everyone listening should know, but it's basically like the NIT of volleyball. It's kind of a new thing. I think it's about four years old now. Um, but UConn went to that uh, last year and they made the semifinals, the final four of it, and they brought a lot of players back from that run. So, that's a postseason team. Uh, St. John's was in the NCAA tournament in 2019. They won the Big East tournament. They beat Creighton and Marquette to do it. Uh, DePaul, we talked about, has elevated um, their play, and we already saw them push Creighton to five sets with, a, you know, go up to um, – they're up 2-1 and had a chance to win that match in Omaha, so that's going to be a tough out. And then Marquette-Creighton is, you know, Marquette-Creighton, right? So that's the that's five of the last six. Um, and then you jump into Big East – tournament and you're likely going to face an NIVC type of team in the semifinals if you're Creighton and you know likely Marquette again in the championship if you make it there so yeah I think it does it, it, it uh, you're it does go along with what you're saying in terms of the level of competition you're going to play and how it prepares you for what you're going to face you know once December rolls around I guess I just think of it as something that's Maybe I only think of it from Creighton's perspective where it just seems like a waste of time. You know? <laughs> but I guess it's better than sitting out a week because you could probably lose a little bit of, you know, sharpness and edge as you wait a whole week for the NCAA tournament to start, right? Just sitting Yeah, maybe. I I guess I never thought about it because it was always, you know, the Big East tournament and then NCAA selection and then your travel. Yeah, and then the I next day. Games. Right. So, exactly, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I guess I could like having a little bit of rest but yeah i don't i don't know that's an interesting like thought if there wasn't a conference tournament i guess we'll just see if the big east gets worse i think you'll be more on my side but as i think you're i think you're right right now because there's enough there's enough postseason level teams that are probably going to make the conference tournament and face off against each other that 
you're probably right in that it's it's better than just sitting on your butt for a week and waiting for a selection show. Because it's like you, I mean, if you make it to the finals, you're playing on Saturday, and then 24 hours later, you're finding out you're at a tournament assignment, and then you're jumping right into prep after that. So yeah, I think you're probably right again. Shocker. <laughs> um. So anyway, that's the way the schedule shakes out. Uh, a little bit of update, I guess. Creighton's 15th in RPI now. They didn't really move at all this weekend. I'm surprised by that. The St. John's is, uh, was top 80 coming into the weekend. They actually moved up. St. John's went from 78 to 77 despite losing two home matches. Hmm. That's just because the RPI sucks. <laughs> like, yeah, I, that's yeah. They made this new metric for men's basketball and women's basketball, and when they did it, I was like, wait a minute. Why are you doing it for only those sports if it's the new – if it's the new metric that needs to be like, how do you not use it for everything? Why is, why does it not translate to yeah, that's weird. other sports? If it, if it, especially if it's stats driven, like can't you just figure out an algorithm where kills matter or something like that? I don't know. I'm yeah. Not smart enough. Seem I'm not enough to say it. But I don't know. I just thought it was dumb. Yeah. Like you're going to, Oh, our RPI is so outdated and, uh, and flawed, but every other sport's going to use it still. Oh, okay. Not really a ringing endorsement there, but carry on. So yeah, Creighton. So St. John's moved up to seventy-seven in the RPI despite losing two home matches. Uh, Creighton stayed at fifteen, which I don't know. I guess it's probably hard for them to move up at that point. You know, they probably have to just beat Marquette two more times to move. Uh, Marquette's at twelve, and UConn's at one hundred four. So, you know, the rest of the way, Creighton's got one, two, three of their final six against teams that are essentially top one hundred teams. One top 20, one top 80, one top 100-ish. And then the Big East tournament, they'll likely face at least one of more one of those teams again. So, um, this, yeah, it's go time now. I feel like this is championship, like it's championship time. You know, I have to imagine the players are thinking the same way. Just because when you look at it, and I know the one match at a time thing is kind of how they're going to approach it because that's always been the successful model for the for all the teams, even the ones you played on, right? It's just take care of what's in front of you and then move on to the next challenge. And that's kind of how you approach it. And that's kind of how you hang the banners. Um, but when you, you know, it's six matches, you can kind of just see it. And you said the light at the end of the tunnel, you can kind of just see that all these matches are important. You have to play your best right now because that's your lot. That's, this is your last launching pad into the NCAA tournament or these six matches plus the big East tournament. So it feels like championship time, right? Time to go hang another banner. Yeah, and I think it's nice, too. I mean, they have four straight at home. So I think from that standpoint, too, I think it's exciting to be home and, like, play in front of your fans. Um, and then, yeah, that last, like, road weekend, I think that's going to definitely be a challenge for them um, before they come back home and play in the Big East um, tournament. But, yeah, I think you you see it on the calendar now. You know, you know, it's like you don't have to flip ahead another month to see, like, where you're going. I think it's okay. Like, we've got a few weeks now, and we need to win these games um, so that we can be at our peak level at the end of the month. And for and I, I think, like, for different classes, too, it probably means it, it means different things, but you kind of all get on the same page because of it, right? If you have a team that gets along really well and you hit this part of the month where you've had success, where you've had a successful season up to, up to this point, then your seniors start to realize – um, their careers only have a handful of matches left. And then the underclassmen, if they get along with the seniors, think, well, we got to send the seniors out on a right note, right? So if the team has good chemistry, this is kind of the point where it shows, don't you think? Because everyone kind of elevates for, you know, the underclassmen elevate their games because they want the seniors to go out on a high note. And the seniors elevate their game because they don't want to fall flat on their face at the end of the year, don't you think? Yeah, I think you want to be playing your best volleyball. And I mean, for a lot of the older people, it's, you know, probably the last time they're going to actually play like in that competitive of an environment, right? Like on a team and where everyone's kind of committed. So, yeah, I think you want to play your best volleyball and obviously get wins and um, hoist trophies. I think that's the fun part. And um, as much as you remember, like the off the court stuff, you know, with your team, I think it's really memorable to like, think back and be like, yeah, we won, you know, we won a Big East championship. And, you know, I don't know how many like of the people that transferred and stuff had won, you know, championships in their respective, you know, schools and that sort of thing. But it's something that like, you know, playing at Crane, I guess it's expected, but it's something that a lot of people don't get to experience. So I'm sure there's a ton of motivation um, in that respect. I think this team has a lot of it, too. Uh, because if you think about it's been since 20, what, 2016 since they made it past the second round, right? 
And I think there's, you know, no one on the team has experienced that. None of the players who have been there have been to the Sweet 16 before. They know that Sweet 16 Elite Eight runs were part of recent history, and they want to experience that. So I think, like, if you look at Allison Witten, uh, you know, the graduate transfer libero, you know, she was on Moorhead State's team that beat Creighton in the NCAA tournament, so she knows what it's like to win an NCAA tournament match, but not but lose in the second round. Jayla, Keeley, Nora, Kendra, Kiana, Kiara. Well, I guess, yeah, Kiara didn't play last year, but she was on the NCAA tournament team in 2020. So, you know, they all know what it's like to make the tournament. They all know what it's like to win the Big East, win the Big East tournament, win an NCAA tournament match, host, all those things. What they haven't experienced yet is making it to the second weekend and pushing for, like, bringing Omaha back into view because that's where the Final Four is this year. Like, I think that's a goal of theirs is to get to Omaha. It's to end their season in Omaha, you know? So from that aspect, I think you're going to see a pretty hungry squad because almost to a player, they haven't been really shy about marking that down as something they want to accomplish before they're done. And you have a lot of veterans on this team that have gotten close but haven't quite made it right. Like, I think Jayla and Keeley. Jayla was a sophomore. Keeley was a redshirt freshman in 2019 when when they lost the when you guys lost the five setter to Minnesota on the road. Like that was really close. That's like a tease, right? You get that you get that taste, and you're like, gosh, I want that again. I want another shot at that, you know. And Jayla last year when they were playing really well and going to the tournament, and you know they handle Ole Miss and she gets hurt, and it's like, I bet you. You know, everyone on that roster feels like if, if Jayla doesn't go down, that they're moving on past Kansas, right? Like, that's the kind of confidence they had at that point. So I think this team's going to be really hungry to play their best volleyball at, at this during this stretch of time. And it's going to be f- kind of interesting to watch because they've played really good volleyball up to this point. So what's the next level, you know? Aren't you a little bit curious to see what where <laughs> they go from here and, and how they elevate? Because that's kind of what made those 2015 and 2016 teams really good is – they were they were able to figure out a way to play their best volleyball on the road. Like, you know, your true freshman team did it in Chapel Hill. Um, your redshirt freshman team did it in Lawrence. You remember how crazy that atmosphere was, right? Um oh, Yeah. So like aren't you a little bit curious to see if the, what this team what this team's next level is like in terms of how how they plan on executing that that vision to to advance in the NCAA tournament and make a deep run? Yeah, and I think that's why, you know, this part of season, I think it's fun to go to practice because, you know, you're playing really high level and it's those things that you're like fine tuning. I think like those are the parts that you're like, ooh, we can get a little bit better at that. And I think that's when it gets fun where you're just like, ooh, you know, like let's just raise our level a little bit, you know, like let's shore up something. And I mean, a lot of the things we talked about that they kind of need to shore up our mental and a lot, you know, a lot of that, it's, it's pretty easy to fix when things are so much physical and it's more mental, like that's a little bit easier. I think if you just kind of call attention to something and, um, you know, work on doing that repetitively, I think it's something that you are totally in control of. I think that's when it's like, okay, we are in control of this, right? Like we can win these games and we can have authority on scoring points. You know, we don't need to wait for a team to make mistakes. You know, it's all us. And I think those are the things that are really exciting. Indeed. So this weekend, this is the way it sets up. November 4th, Friday, DJ Silk Arena, 1 p.m. 1 p.m. start. A little bit un, uh, unconventional, but um, there's some family reasons for it. <laughs> um, hopefully, Kirsten gets to watch her daughter play at night. So hopefully, the plan goes according to <laughs> Sorry, a little bit redundant there. But yeah, 1 p.m. is that start time for the Providence match on Friday, November 4th. And then they'll get Saturday off and play UConn Sunday afternoon at, one, at two, uh, excuse me 12 p.m. Um, DJ Silk Arena. So, uh, yeah, it's the Providence UConn weekend. Are you on none of these calls this weekend? When's your next one? Providence. Yeah. Oh, how shy were you being about that? I knew it was coming <laughs> up. She's like, yeah, Providence, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> Providence. Yeah. <laughs> Is that your last assignment of the year, or do you have any other option? No. Um. Yeah, that's the last one that's scheduled. I don't know if they've scheduled like the Big East stuff or what they're doing for that, but okay. I don't know. Right. Last I know about. Okay, so Providence at one p.m. Um, you know, Megan Ballinger will be on the call. Come ask for autographs and pictures and stuff. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. You're like, no, I'm busy. If you want one? Uh, I guess, like, yes, but ooh, <laughs> I don't know why. I think they showed you on the jumbotron of one of them, one of the matches you did. They like. Yeah, they, they did a whole thing. Yeah, they showed a picture of me like playing, and I was like, "Oh, no one told me this was happening." Hey, 
they got to show respect to the legends. All right. You know? Um, so yeah, that's the weekend ahead. So everybody will see y'all at DJ Sokol arena. Um, I don't know, Megan, you got anything else to, to, uh, touch on from this weekend or looking ahead, anything on your mind? I don't think so. Okay. I think I do a good job of asking that after we've all emptied the chamber. So we never usually have yeah, to that. Like, so. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, uh, but yeah, thanks for tuning in. I always suck at these closes. Um, appreciate all the listeners, though, for tuning in with us and hanging in with us every weekend. Um, so yeah, the Jays got the biz- got the job done on the week on the road on this weekend, and now they're back home for four straight. Um, yeah, it's championship time, November. Here we go. Thanks everybody for tuning in. For Megan Ballinger, I'm Matt DeMarinas. Talk to you all next weekend.